morning, everybody. I am uh, Reese Nealon. Look forward to sharing with you today, giving you a message from God's Word. Great to have you today. Hope you already feel welcome. Uh, it has been mentioned that this was uh, the weekend where we moved our clocks forward for daylight savings time, right? And so uh, what that means is that unless you prepared for that by going to bed earlier last night, then you got less sleep maybe than you normally do. So uh, what I need to do right now is I need to just sort of, you know, one of the things uh, any speaker wants to do is figure out where his audience is. And so how many of you are angry? How many of you are bitter? Uh, how many of you are upset because you lost that hour of sleep? Okay, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Uh, so this side of the room, and that's actually one family. So, and and Kevin mentioned he also overslept, so I'm assuming the entire Kawai clan is in a bad place today. So uh, I hope the sermon will help you, but I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to look at the other people who I'm anticipating being friendlier and such. So anyway, uh, for the members of the church here, I want to remind you that Wednesday night, we are the whole Lifeway Church will be gathering here, our group, the San Gabriel group, Spanish, English. Uh, we're very excited. We have a couple from... Riga, Latvia, Sandu, and Zhenya Yepper, who are going to be here. Yes, you'll have to be able to spell that in order to get into heaven. So uh, you'll want to be here Wednesday night to get that. But anyway, they've, uh, we've been supporting them. They're part of our Baltic Nordic missions effort that all of us are supporting. It's great. They're going to come. They're going to share about the church there. I think it's going to be very exciting and encouraging. Uh, we are encouraging you to get your missions contributions in by the end of April, actually. Um, so we're hoping in the next six weeks or so you can do that. Uh, we're also encouraging you to consider giving at least 10 times your normal weekly contribution. This is a once-a-year thing. All the money will be going to uh, help the churches over there and such. So anyway, that'll be great. All right, so we are continuing in our series that I am calling First Principles Refresh. And what we're doing, we're looking at sort of the, uh, the first principles, the foundational principles, the basics of Christianity, and we're uh, refreshing them. We're reminding ourselves of what those are, and we're also trying to take a fresh look at those. And it's really, I think, something that has been and will be helpful for everybody. I think especially if you're new to our church here and you don't know what we may believe or what we're all about, that's going to help you. I think for any those of us as well who've been a part of this church maybe even for decades, you know, we need to be reminded sometimes of uh, what we believed and why we became part of this church and, and really even examine ourselves to see if we're still living uh, according to what we believed and said we believed and decided to believe and chose to live when we made our decision to follow Jesus. So hopefully that'll help you. This is the third of seven lessons. Actually, uh, I, I have to, to be honest, this is going to be part one of lesson three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it actually, I know some of you are waiting for that. It's actually going to be longer than seven parts, it seems, because actually it be seven parts, but some of them may be part one and part two. So we're going to do part one today. Uh, let me remind you what we've already done. The first uh, lesson we did several weeks ago is really about the love of God, and the, the point there that we need to take home is that God loves us so much. There is nothing that you can do that will make God stop loving you, that will lessen his love for you. 
His love is that big. It's that infinite. It's clearly even beyond our understanding in many ways. But he loves us that much. That was the first lesson. Uh, the second lesson, which I gave, I guess it was two weeks ago, is that the Bible is God's message of life for us. God, because of his love, he gave us miraculously this written word. We can trust it. We can rely on it. And it's going to tell us all that we need to know and understand in order to come to salvation, in order to experience Jesus, in order to be blessed in every area of our life. Uh, this is really God's answer book for us and such a special blessing and gift that we all have. So there we go. And then we come to today's lesson. So we're going to go, we're going to go big today. And by that I mean we're going to ask ourselves something that I am confident you will understand to be a very important question. And it's this, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I think that we really kind of should understand that this can be very confusing. I mean, if we take a survey, if we do a poll on the street, what does it mean to be a Christian? We're going to get a, about as many different answers as we ask the number of people we ask. You know what I'm talking about. And maybe you've experienced that. Well, it can be very confusing. And one of the main things that can be confusing is being a Christian merely mean that you believe some things, or does it mean that you believe some things which leads you to live a certain way? Do you understand the difference there? Is it just believing, or is there also, along with that faith, a life to live? Is that really what it means to be a Christian? We'll talk about more about that as uh, we go on. It's interesting, you know, sometimes people who call themselves Christians are confused about that. People who do not call themselves Christians are not confused at all. They, and I don't know if you know this, but it's probably good for you to understand it, Christianity in a general sense has a very poor reputation in the United States and even maybe more so in the world. Did you know that? And you know why? Because many of them have enough understanding of Christianity to know that it says some pretty fantastic things. It says some great things. And they may admire Jesus, and they respect Jesus, and they like what he taught, and they wish everybody in, in one way could live like Jesus. And they say, you call yourself a Christian, and you say you're following Jesus, but you don't live like that. How many of us? frankly, have had a time in our lives where we turned away from Christianity because we saw that in the churches or in our experience, there was so much hypocrisy. There may be people here even today who have still not yet embraced Christianity. Maybe once you did, maybe you never have, but you know why? It's because these people that call themselves Christians, they don't live like that. They don't live like Christians. And so it's a pretty important question. So it can be confusing as well. So what I want to do today, part one today, I want us to see if we could just step back for a moment. And maybe we could start over. And so I want to ask you, whatever your, your background is, 
with Christianity, your experience with Christianity, or whether you even believe or don't believe, or what you think you know about being a Christian, or what you, you, you seem to be sure, I want you to step back for a moment, and let's let Jesus help us, and let's see if we could start sort of over and find out what Jesus says about what it means to a Christian. Does that sound good? So let's look over in Matthew chapter 22. If you've got a Bible, that would be great to turn there. I believe that we'll put the scripture on the screen. This is the only text, the only scripture that we will be reading today. And we'll continue with something different there to build on this next week. But this is a great story that I think has so much for us here in Matthew chapter 22. And in verse 34, and it's such an important story that there's four different accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and a version of this account is included in at least three of the other uh, Gospels or the other accounts of Jesus as well. But let's read this one here in Matthew. And so we'll start in verse 36, or 34 I guess it is. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So it mentions in the beginning of this story, there's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now it's probably not important for our lesson today to understand that those were two different groups within the Jewish faith who believed a little bit different things about the Jewish faith. And that is a lot actually in a much amplified way, the way that Christianity is today, right? There's so many different groups, there's so many different people that claim so many different churches, and they believe different things, and it could be confused. But anyway, these two groups uh, were uh, different groups of Jews, and they were, neither one of them particularly liked Jesus. Because Jesus was coming, and Jesus was saying things, and Jesus was making claims about himself, and Jesus was also getting a lot of popularity, and he was teaching stuff that was different than what they were teaching, and so they were losing followers, and they were threatened, and they had been known as the sort of the elite religious people, leaders of that era and that time and that culture, and now Jesus, they felt insecure, they felt like they were being replaced by him, and so if you read the stories, they were constantly trying to trick Jesus, to test him in order to try to discredit him. And so this was one of their efforts to discredit Jesus, and like all their other efforts, it was a spectacular failure. Because they said, here's the guy, he says the question is, what is the greatest commandment? And it's interesting that, you know, they had the Old Testament, and if you don't know, that was the the, the, the message that Jesus had given the Jews that preceded the time of Jesus, and part of that was the Ten Commandments, and that's in Exodus chapter 20, and actually there's a lot, Old Testament's got a lot of stuff in there, a lot of commandments, and so all the Jewish religious leaders used to sit around, 
and they would categorize and list all the commands that were in the Old Testament, and they would debate on which ones were the most important ones and which ones were maybe the lesser important ones. And so they think, well, if we ask Jesus what's the greatest commandment, no matter what he says, we will be able to challenge that and perhaps discredit him. Does that make sense? They thought this would be a win-win situation for them. But as it turned out, Jesus gave an answer that not only silenced those people of that day, but it was also an answer that many people understand to be the marching orders of what it really means for us today if we're going to call ourselves Christians. It gives us a foundation even today for how we should live and what it really means to be a Christian. And so he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first thing that we need to understand. If you are truly a Christian, you are somebody who has been changed by God's love. You have been transformed. You have been moved. You have seen God in some way that even in the creation that he's somebody who has cared for us and he's somebody who's loved us. And you have understood that God sent Jesus to under, so we could understand him even better and so we could know how we should live and we should know what pleases him and we should know about salvation and that Jesus, not yet but soon, would die on the cross and he would pay the price for our sins. And he's loved us in so many ways in the the gift of God's word, this inspired, miraculously uh, gift of truth is all an expression of God's love. But he's saying, we, anybody who would follow me, Jesus, or who would be a Christian, is somebody who has been touched by the love of God. And because we've been touched by the love of God, our lives will never be the same. We've been changed. We've been transformed. And therefore, from this day forward, what we will do, what all that would be Christians must do, is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's no other thing that would be appropriate. And of course, here's what we understand. Even when we love God at the best, and we make the greatest effort as we possibly can, our love for him is never going to be perfect. Yet here's what's so impressive. Here's what should keep driving us. Here's what should keep changing us. Is that God still loves us just the same even when we are not loving him perfectly. It's part of the, the love of God is so compelling. And so therefore, we become, as Christian people, not people who are saying, what is the least that I can do? What is my minimum daily requirement? Give me the rules. See, the Jews used to focus on that. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, tell us what the rules are. Tell us what the most important rules are. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a church anymore, and I don't want to be a part of a church that's just based on rules. Even the rules of God. Because there's something more. There's something better. There's something deeper. 
It's that if we heart has been touched and we love God, then that makes all the difference. I'm not talking about what's the least I can do and still go to heaven. I'm trying to figure out what's the most I can do. And, you know, it works that way in any great relationship. Now, you may not be married, but let's imagine, let's imagine marriage, okay? Let's talk about that for a minute. How do you think Mary Kay is going to like that? If I go to her and I go, Mary Kay, see, here's the deal. I, I'm glad we got married, I think. Um, so what I need from you is I need to know what are some of, just give me a list of the most important things that you want me to do. And I need you to define that because I'm not interested in doing any more than I have to in order to, uh, for, you know, so you may not be married. How do you think that's going to go? No, see, we got a bunch of single people over here who know the answer to that. You say, I may not be married yet, but I know the answer to that. That is not going to go well. That's not going to go well. It's not going to go that well with God. That's, that's, you're never going to have a great marriage that way. If we have decided that we love God, and part of that is that we trust God, and we know that even when his commands or desires for us don't seem to make sense to us, they're actually good for us, and they're actually given for us because he loves us and he wants to bless us, then once we understand that, then we're going to do it eagerly, right? Parents, you ever do that? You ever try to explain to your children when they were really young why they shouldn't do something and they didn't get it? And you said, look, I know you may not get it, I know you may not understand it, but you do it anyway, and hopefully when you get older, then you'll understand it. And almost all the time we did, Right? So we trust God. We love God. We do what God wants us to do. If we love God, almost anything that he asks us to do or wants us to do becomes self-evident. It becomes obvious. Because we're, we're, we're coming from a place where God's love has touched us, and we're simply loving him in the same way, with the same commitment, the same desire. It's all about love. Now, here's the other thing that I think could be helpful to you, helpful to all of us. When it comes to this love for God, it's all or nothing. Y'all let that sink in for a minute. There's a reason that Jesus quotes, and he quotes actually from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy. He says there's a reason, there's a reason that he quotes this and mentions you are supposed to love God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul. He didn't say, did he? I want you to give God a healthy percentage of your heart and your mind and your soul. I want you to give God the majority of your heart and your mind and your soul. I want you to give God 90 5% of your heart and your mind and your soul. This is a good place for us to just pause for a minute. If any of you are wondering why your experience with Christianity, either the past or even now, is frustrating and empty 
and powerless, and you don't know why, perhaps the first thing you need to ask yourself is, am I all in with Jesus or not? Because what many of us have found, and what I found, because I grew up going to church, and the Bible was preached to the church I went to, and I went to church regularly, and, you know, we focused on the things that we thought were the minimum requirements for us to please God and be satisfied, and it never did anything for me, and it was always empty. And then I went to Gainesville, Florida, and I went to graduate school there, and I was led to a church where there was hundreds of college students, and they were happy, and they were growing, and they were fulfilled, and they were excited about their faith, and I didn't understand why, and it seemed confusing to me. But I quickly figured out one of the reasons is they were all in. It's all or nothing. First of all, the Lord is never going to accept less than your all. You may try to deceive yourself. You may try to delude yourself. You may try to convince yourself. You may surround yourself with all these people who will tell you how awesome you are. But you're never, it's never, God is never going to be pleased if you're not all in. The other thing, and it's just a very practical thing, and if you haven't figured it out yet, I want to help you today. Christianity doesn't work if you're only going at it half-heartedly. You're going to be the most frustrated of people. And a lot of us know that, and we've experienced that, right? Because there were times when we kind of lost it, and I've done it, and you've done it, and we go, you know, I've got to get back. I got to get I got to get back all in. Truth is, we all know whether or not we're really all in or not. We we know. And I want you to have the courage to ask yourself that today. You know, again, my relationship with Mary Kay, uh we've been married for Many years. Most of them have been happy years. And I say that, and I'm not even really joking. There's a part of that. I mean, there's always challenges in marriage and relationship, right? But the one thing that I've always done that's the most important thing that I have done with Mary Kay is I am all in. I may not be ever, I will never be, the perfect husband. Sorry, you should understand that now, clearly. <laughs> Never going to be the perfect husband. But the one thing I can be, and hopefully the one thing I have been, is perfectly committed to her. You know why our relationship works? Because I invest in her, and I invest only in her. I am not friends real, deep, intimate friends with any other women other than my mother. So I got a lot of friends. I got a relationship. There's two I'm really investing in, my mother and my wife. And some of you know this. You've been in church here. I don't meet with women alone. You know what, if you're a woman in this church, you're a member, you're a visitor, then hopefully you feel like, you know, Reese is warm, Reese is friendly, Reese comes up and talks to me, Reese gives me a hug, and then Reese moves on. 
And it's not because you don't need help, women. That's why we have a women's ministry leader. But you know what? I am not... The way I protect my love for my wife is I don't invest in any other women. I'm a... Let me make sure I say it. I am a one-woman man. I almost said I was a one-man woman, but I, you know, I just... That's why I had to stop and make sure it's that way. But see, here's the thing. Any great marriage has figured that out. And if you don't invest in your husband, you don't invest in your wife, and them alone, there's going to come a time when you fall out of love and you do stupid things. That's going to happen. It's no different with God. I got to give God every, I got to give all I I got to put out the distractions of other loves that might rival my love for God whether it's my career or money or success or popularity or sin or whatever it is. I got to invest in God and invest in God only. We know whether we're there or not. You know, the last thing that I would say here is that it's very interesting. Jesus, he asked him for one command, right? You see what happened, though? You say, okay, here is the one command. Here's the greatest one. And he said, right with it. The second is like it. It's essentially the same thing. It's the same thing he says, I don't want to leave this out. I don't want to just drop you with one. So he quotes another scripture from Leviticus. And this is actually a little more, a little more obscure. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the thing that I hope will encourage you. If you've never figured it out before, in many ways, loving God is loving your neighbor. That's one of the ways that you show that you love God is by loving your neighbor. Yes, you can pray to God, and yes, you can praise God, and yes, you can sing to God, and yes, you can read his word, and you can have your personal time with him, and I hope that you do. But at the end of the day, if you don't love people, you don't love God. Because how can you know God who loved you and created all of his children? Remember that first lesson I did about you can't, know, you know, no matter who you are, you can't, God, you can't make God stop loving you because we're all his children. God loves all his children. You can't say, I love you, God, but I hate my children. I hate your children. Now, any parent knows that one of the greatest joys you have is when your children are all getting along. Now, I have to admit that growing up, when my kids were younger in my house, I had three boys. Are boys easier or more difficult than girls? Seems to be a mixed opinion there. But anyway, um, so I had three boys. I, didn't, I don't know much about women. And by the way, if I had daughters, I'd be invested in them. It'd be more than just Mary Kay and my mother. But, you know, growing up, I mean, it was so painful at times watching my children argue and fight and treat each other the way they did. 
There were several times. I mean, at the dinner table was crazy. I was like, can we not just sit down and have a meal together? Can we not just be nice? And I would frequently have to remind them, I go, you know we're supposed to be a Christian family. But you know, God has God reigns. Because now I get together with my children and we get together to holidays, and they are just so into each other. And they, you know, it's great. It's great to watch. I mean, part of me is like, you know, don't forget about me. I mean, you know, at least on Father's Day, can we can we make it about me? But they just they love each other. But you love that as a parent. That's why Jesus is so quick to say. So here, let me come in for a landing. We've already answered a lot of the questions we asked at the beginning, if you've been paying attention. What does it mean to be a Christian? First and foremost, it means you are somebody who loves God and loves people. Is being a Christian merely something you believe? or also a life that you live. It's a life that you live. It's something you believe that has changed your life. But it's a life that you live. And it is a life of love. And it's a life where you love God. And it's a life where you love your neighbor. And it's a life where you're all in. If we just step back, Jesus wants to make it simple for us. And we're going to build on this next week. The title of the lesson is Following Jesus, part one. The main point of the lesson is that being a Christian means living like Jesus. Being a Christian in this situation means loving like Jesus. Now I want to mention one other thing. Because I want to bring it, bring it home. There is a terrible false doctrine that is destroying, in many ways has already destroyed Christianity in our world today. It's something relatively new. It actually, if you look at the history of Christianity, it's only come up in the last few decades. And it's something that I'm going to call easy believism. Now, I didn't make up that term, easy believism. Other people have used it to describe it. And this is the doctrine. And this is actually the most popular doctrine in Protestant evangelical Christianity today. And that is the idea that all I need to do to be a Christian is I need to say a prayer and I need to accept Jesus in my heart and then I am saved, and I am eternally saved, and it doesn't really matter how I live or what goes on after that. That's what some people would say is easy believism. Now, I will ask you to do this. If that's something that's infected your life and your heart, I would ask you to go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because you're not going to see any easy believism in there. Next week, as we follow up with this, I'm going to ask you to do this maybe as an assignment this week. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. 
It's the story of Jesus and a man that we call the rich young ruler. We're going to build on this foundation. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a Christian. And what you're going to find is, and what you're going to, if you just invest any time in reading about Jesus and his ministry and what he taught and what he told people and the conversations he had, what you're going to find is Jesus did not believe in easy believism. He believed that people who would call themselves by his name and describe themselves as disciples of Jesus Christ would follow him, would be all in, would give their lives to him, would want to imitate him, live for him, live like him. And that they would go out to make a difference in the world. Easy believism, frankly, has led many people to think that they're Christians and think that they're saved, and they are not. Because they have never made a decision to give their life to Jesus. Because of his love, they've never decided to, make, to, to give their life to Jesus. Many of you in this audience, at one time, that are members of this church, at one time, you thought you were a Christian until you read the Bible and understood that being a Christian was more than just saying a little prayer and quote unquote accepting Jesus into your heart. There are many people who are deluded, and I you know, and I hate that. And I there are many people that are deceived. They're not true Christians. They've never really been converted. And that happened to me, and I'm so glad that I Went to Gainesville, Florida and discovered the campus ministry there. And, you know, I decided, I knew I'd, I've never gone all in on this. I've been to church. I've read my Bible. I've memorized scriptures. I've never been all in. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to make a decision to follow Jesus and for Jesus to be Lord. Let's pray together. We'll finish up next week. God, thank you for... The message of Jesus, help us to understand it, help us to take it to heart. In his name we pray, amen.